So what that led market's telling you is that they think that the Fed's kind of going to overdo it, cut interest rates, and then with you fix your mortgage with Fannie, Freddie, LifeCo's, they, they tend to come with uh, large prepayment penalties, formerly they're called defeasance or yield maintenance. So I've been there, done that in my career in 2016, kind of really uh, resonates this to me where you know we had a deal that was in the beginning, beginning of the fall, that award deal in October, and then we weren't rate locked when the election happened and Trump got elected. And then all of a sudden the, the treasury rates went up about 80 basis points, seemingly overnight. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build multiple streams of passive income with the most proven asset class in the world, real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lode, and today our guest is Michael Becker from SPI Advisory. Michael's been on the show before, and I'm really excited to have him back on the show. He's one of the big multifamily investors that I had the opportunity to meet very early on in my multifamily career at an in-person event, the first one that I went to, and I had a nice long conversation with him. He was very friendly, very kind, very welcoming and open, and that was just an awesome opportunity, an awesome first step for me into the real estate space. And uh, I just want to you know, publicly thank him for that. I'm really excited to have him on the show to discuss the state of multifamily lending and investing today. Here, as we get to the end of 2022, we have all these rate hikes going on, changes in the multifamily market, so much happening. And he is an expert in both multifamily and multifamily lending. He is a very accomplished multifamily investor with several thousand units, many properties under his belt personally, and he's worked in lending for quite a long time. So getting both angles here, both as an investor and a lender, a lot of knowledge in this one. And uh, I think an, an optimistic picture for the future of multifamily investing, but we need to be aware of what's going on in the market and open and honest about the current conditions. And Michael is very open and forthright with those things with us today. So you're going to learn a lot. And uh, yeah, I, Michael's a great guy. I'm happy to have him back on the show. I'm your host, Taylor Vote. I'm a real estate investor, and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically multifamily and self-storage properties. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and would like to learn about investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and we'll look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, once again, our guest is Michael Becker from SBI Advisory. Without any further ado, here we go. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today, coming back on the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Really excited to have you back on and have another conversation with you. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your business, can you tell us about what you do, where you invest in, and uh, where you're calling from? Sure. Yeah. Michael Becker, run a company called SPI Advisory. I'm based in Dallas, Texas. My company is my myself, a partner, and you know our employees. So my partner, Sean's based in Austin. So we have two offices and we focus on uh, Texas multifamily. So specifically, we're in three of the four majors, Dallas, Fort Worth, Austin, and San Antonio. Um, started out 
got about uh, about a decade or so ago buying uh, buying multifamily, uh, maybe 12, 13 years in, in real estate, uh, doing some smaller stuff before that. It's really over the last, say, 10 years, really kind of transitioned from when we started doing a lot of workforce housing. So in Texas, think like in the like 1960s or 1970s for kind of like your C-class deals. And we, we now what we focus on is kind of 8A minus. So we're buying you know, either brand new construction or, or something that's maybe say 20 years or younger, uh, maybe like a A minus to kind of A product. You know, so there I do that. And then I'm the co-host of the old Capital Real Estate Investing Podcast. I've been doing that for eight or so years, I guess now at this point. So you can find that on iTunes or Stitcher or, or oldcapitalpodcast.com. So those are kind of how most people probably find or have uh, have heard about me. Great. And the Old Capital Podcast is a is a great show, especially for multifamily nerds, if you will. You guys really get into the weeds and it's it's one of the few podcasts where you dig really deep into multifamily investing and lending. So great show and, and everybody should uh, should check that out. So on our interview, our time together today, I wanted to learn about recent changes in your business. You know, everybody's curious about, hey, we're in this recession, interest rates are going up, all that kind of a thing. How is that impacting the multifamily market? So, you know, let's dive into it and, and compare and contrast maybe last year to this year and and what you're seeing happening in the markets. Yeah, you know, it's been it's been quite a quite a shift here. I mean, if you go back to really just kind of post post COVID, uh, middle of 2020, when everything started kind of uh, un, unfreezing a little bit. I mean, it's been a uh, Heck of a run from kind of you know as soon as uh, as soon as we kind of say summer of 2020, all the way through you know first quarter of 2022. I mean the it's been a rocket ship. I mean interest rates were you know at or near zero for that entire time period. More and more capital flowed towards uh, the multifamily and industrial space away from office, retail, hospitality, etc. So there's more and more money chasing the space. We saw tremendous uh, you know historically high rental rate growth uh, during that time period. So our income skyrocketing, debt was super cheap. So just uh, pricing uh, escalated. Probably I'd call the the peak of that was in, in my, my mind, February, March of 2022, somewhere around there. And then, uh, then you know, towards the end of last year is when the Fed kind of started changing their stance on, uh, you know, zero interest rate policy, started talking about hiking to uh, offset the inflation uh, that's that's dominating the financial headlines here and everyone's life day to day. You can't <laughs> turn around without hearing about it. So they started hiking. I uh, started getting a little bit more aggressive as we got into uh, the spring of this year, and and then the lenders started pulling back. So we've kind of from the peak seen a little bit of a retracement in, in valuations and pricing. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of owners that could have got you know X for the property now it's X minus ten to twenty percent probably off off the absolute peak. But kind of putting that perspective, you're still well above where you were, and uh, you know, kind of going into COVID, or probably you probably where you were about maybe a year, year and a half ago. So it's not like uh, you know dramatic. So if you've owned the deal for more than twelve or eighteen months, you're still probably in the money, and we're still seeing rents grow and and incomes grow within within our our NOIs are growing. Generally speaking, although we are having headwinds with some, you know, increasing insurance and payroll and taxes, et cetera. So some of the expenses are, are going up as well. But really, a lot of it's just due to the lenders being a little bit more cautious and pulling back. And what was a very robust and deep and diverse uh, lending pool has, has, has shrunk dramatically in real time. But, you know, uh, that, this always kind of ebbs and flows. And 
we can talk about that a little bit more. And I'm sure that whatever whatever's going on today will be a little bit different tomorrow. And uh, you know, you just got to kind of stay on top of it and, and roll with the punches. Yeah, that's true. I thing is things change they're always changing and you know next year will certainly be different from this year for one reason or another so when you say lenders kind of backing out of the the pool and everything and the lenders that are there getting a little more conservative what does that look like when you actually look at say the underwriting on a deal how have they changed their standards are they saying you know are they looking at higher cap rates higher dscr debt service coverage ratios or how do they determine that in the actual numbers. So let's bifurcate this a little bit. So I think you kind of have your workforce housing and then you kind of have your more institutional class A. So let's talk about workforce housing. What was so prevalent for the last 18, 20 months kind of leading into this time period, uh, the space has really dominated. Um, you know, if you go back to like 2020 and first half of 2021, you know, Fannie, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were the two largest lenders. I mean, they were basically taking almost 100% market share. I mean, not exactly, but you know, a very high percentage of the loans in 2020 and the first part of 2021 were, were the agencies. And then that transitioned over into where it was almost exclusively debt funds where the agencies weren't really winning a lot of the acquisition financing. So these debt funds, which you know, would uh, do like three-year bridge loans and they'd be you know, SOFR, LIBOR plus a spread, you know they were very um, much more prominent, and they were loaning you know up to eighty percent. A lot of cases, so seventy-five, eighty percent was very, very common. It was just all on pro forma net operating income. So you know future collections after you kind of implement a renovation plan. So that's how they would size off it and really kind of push leverage up. Well, when everything started kind of uh, adjusting, one their their spreads over the index you know uh, gapped out. So what used to be maybe a 3% spread went to four to four and a half percent spread and coupled that with us at the exact same time, the index went from, you know, SOFR went from, you know, zero or next to zero. And now it's, you know, pushing 3% as we record this podcast. So what was a, you know, low, low to mid threes kind of coupon is now, you know, six to 7% coupon. So the interest rates have effectively doubled on what you're paying. So that's making the the proceeds get a lot more uh, constrained. And so they're just kind of um, underwriting to this kind of new reality. And so was taking on uh, the workforce housing from 80% leverage. I mean, you're lucky to get 65 levered and a higher spread. And so it's making a lot of these deals not make sense. So, you know, what you're seeing to kind of compensate if deals, uh, what, what you're basically seeing is a lot of deals just kind of get removed from the market. Because if you don't need to sell right now, you'd be kind of likely, you know, not getting uh, the optimal return. So a lot of buyers are choosing kind of pull back and, and sit. And the ones that are trading are seeing, you know, in the workforce housing, I'd probably say upwards of 20% price adjustments from kind of the absolute peak. And then kind of over in the class A, which what you're seeing is, you know, you didn't have as much debt fund lending. You had the agencies and you had life codes where, where uh, life companies were really prevalent. A lot of those, um, the banks uh, and the banks uh, to a lesser extent. So the banks are largely on the sidelines. They just got some new capital requirements uh, from the Fed. So they're being a little bit more selective. So then you have your life companies and uh, the agencies. So the agencies were completely out. Now they're a little bit more a little bit more in, a little bit more liquidity is coming from from them. So you're seeing, you know, uh, th- those uh, leverage points never were quite as high. You know, 65 is probably about as high levered as you would typically see in a lot of these institutional loans. So maybe they're more like 60 or 55 levered, but it's not that far off. The spreads are a little bit wider because there's less 
of them. A lot of lenders out there, and they're being a little bit more choosy. So you're seeing the the spreads gap out a little bit, but it's not as dramatic as what you saw in the in the kind of the workforce space. So you know a lot more liquidity there. A lot of the institutions that were buying have largely kind of gone pencils down, so they aren't quite as active. Uh, but there's a lot less inventory out there because again, you know, people are that don't need to sell. Uh, you'd be kind of foolish to sell into this environment until you get a little bit more clarity. But I'm starting to see kind of signs of that thawing. We're actually, you know, out there buying a deal right now or trying to buy a deal right now. And we're seeing it was about 12% off the original um, ask, got awarded. And then uh, and then that original group couldn't close. So we're then we're, you know, about 12% off the, the original ask or about seven off, 7% off of where it was awarded back uh, a couple months ago. So starting to see uh, some of these deals kind of kind of get set. As soon as a few of these start closing, then I think the water has kind of found its level. We have a base to build off of. And I think uh, I think the transaction will start flowing from there. Okay. So in any uh, multifamily underwriting, like value adds have been the big strategy in this market cycle. And meaning that you know, folks are buying, raise the income, and then sell it for more money within you know five to seven years or three to five, depending on your, your business plan and everything. Are you still seeing that value add opportunity or do you do you believe that's there moving into the future especially as you know uh, cap rate market cap rates going up money getting more expensive interest rates going up does offset your NOI increase to a certain extent depending on how much it happens uh, so what do you see moving into the future and how do you how are you underwriting for that yeah, so my uh, my crystal ball or my personal per, uh, view of the world is really, you know, the market got a lot of whack in my estimation. Where there used to be a healthy spread between your Class A and your Class C multifamily mm-hmm. cap rates. Well, when I first started buying properties in 2013, you buy in Dallas Fort Worth, buy a brand new Class A deal for like a five cap, uh, a B deal was like six and a half cap, and a C deal was like eight to eight and a half cap. So it used to be about say 300 to 350 basis point spread. When you fast forward to where we were in say January, kind of ending last year, beginning this year, all the cap rates are on top of them, each other, you know, plus minus 4%. So there was no uh, discount or premium, however you want to look at it within the cap rate for buying something built in 1970s versus something that was built in 2020, which that doesn't make sense because there's more risk within the tenant profile, their incomes, Capital risk. So, you know, the older 50 plus year old building is going to have sewer system issues and plumbing and electric, electrical and whatever else, because they're, you know, essentially functionally obsolescent buildings. So, uh, what was happening for the last 10 years is you, you do a value add, you sell to the next guy, 2.0 value add and 3.0 value add. And, and so, what I think as we're seeing right now, as cap rates have kind of risen a little bit, they're a lot more sticky on the, the top of the grade and they're expanding quicker on the lower end of the grade. So they're starting to see some bifurcation within the property grades where, where you know there's a lot more risk, in my opinion, to cap rates expanding on a workforce housing deal than there is a class A deal just, just due to that, the the kind of inherent risk. So I mean, I think the value add is still there. You know, it's just you gotta be a little bit more selective because your input costs are going up like crazy. Like trying to get an appliance package right now is very challenging. It's just kind of really spotty still as we as we still kind of try to un unscrew up the supply chains that got so messed up the last couple of years. So the input costs are higher, your cap rates are expanding. 
So, you know, it's just making it a little bit harder, especially with the debt costs. So that's why I think you're seeing transaction volume really kind of grind to a halt, especially within the workforce housing. Uh, and I think the class A, you know, I don't need to replace an appliance package that's one or two years old on some of the buildings that, that we own. They're, you know, good for 10 or 15 years or whatever the useful life is of them. It's kind of do them, you know, onesie twosies as they kind of wear out within your, your units. So, you know, I think that, that you need to, if you're underwriting, a workforce housing deal, you know, obviously you have to factor in a higher debt service cost, factor in, you know, having, uh, you know, higher input costs with your, you know, labor and materials being materially higher than what they were, you know, a few years ago. And, you know, can your tenant profile really sustain higher um, rental rates uh, as you have inflationary pressures on every other aspect of their lives, which hits that demographic a little bit harder in the 70s and 80s vintage deals than I do in the, the brand new construction deals. So uh, is it dead? I don't know if it's dead, but I, I'd be a little bit more cautious trying to project that I can push rents really hard by doing a, a value-add renovation program today than I would have been you know, 12 or 24 months ago. So I don't think it's a no-brainer to go in and, and spend a bunch of money to try to push rents because it, it might not all work out at the end of the day as easily as it has been the, in the recent past. Okay. That makes sense. So how do you, so you're focusing on nicer, newer assets, class A, that type of thing. How do you intend to produce a return, uh, you know, and, and really push, you know, push and make money if you're not just buying for, you know, in place rents? Like what's so, the business? So uh, a couple of things that the kind of compare and contrast, but I think we feel that produce uh, superior returns in this space at the present time um, is one, uh, you know, being a little bit more seasoned sponsor, we've done out 13, 14,000 multifamily units in the last, say, nine, 10 years. So we're, uh, you know, more more of a preferred borrower with uh, the agencies and LifeCo's look more favorably upon us than they would uh, someone that's been in the business a year or two. It's just the way it is, it's completely unfair, but you know, that's the way life is. Life's unfair. So, so we're getting much better spread. So if we're debt funds that were 80% on the workforce housing are now 65%, maybe, maybe a little less. And the spreads that were 300 over SOFR are now 400 or 450 over SOFR. We're able to, we're doing a deal right now, Fannie Mae, 65 levered, and we're getting like a 215 spread over SOFR. So we're getting half the spread, 10 year full term IO and, and so, you know, we're we're getting much better borrowing cost, which then, you know, produces less debt service required on a monthly basis, which then increases cash flow. So that that's one aspect. Two, the rental rate growth has been, you know, largely this entire last, you know, since the great uh, great financial um, crisis, GFC, uh, 12, 13 years ago. Now, the largely the rent growth uh, that I've been driving is exactly what we were just talking about, doing the value add on the workforce housing stuff. Where you look back the last, say, 20, 24 months or so coming out of COVID, a lot of the rental rate growth is really on the top end of the, of the margins as people are getting priced out of home ownership, either staying in housing, multi-housing longer or um, you know, moving from higher price coastal markets to the Sun Belt, which is where we participate in. So we're seeing ever increasing uh, demand on the front door and, and, a, and a slower attrition on the back door. So it's high having these rental rates go up dramatically higher than they historically have on the Class A kind of AA minus space. So we're seeing, you know, higher rental rate growth on the Class A than we are on the workforce housing, which is a little um, counter to what we've historically seen in the last, say, 12 years uh, for the majority of that. So I think 
you can, um, if you have higher rental rates, you don't have to spend the capital and to get better debt, debt service costs and spreads, better loan terms. I mean, those are kind of the things that we're seeing in real time that are causing us to be a little bit more bullish and, uh, and buy these class A deals. Now, at some point, if the uh, prices get you know discounted enough in the workforce housing or we start seeing a shift in the interest rates might be kind of uh, time to be like marty mcfly and go go back in time and start buying <laughs> some of these older deals and that's kind of like what we were talking about the only thing i'm certain of is tomorrow is going to look different than today does and you just need to stay on top of the evolving nature of of, of everything it's really everything in life and it's being kind of plugged in saying attention paying attention to everything because Right now, so we see the opportunity, but you know, ten years ago, we saw the opportunity in the workforce housing, and you know, it might shift back to that, but I, I don't think it's there yet. Okay, okay. So one of the debt terms uh, that you mentioned was, I think you said two fifteen or two fifty over SOFR, and two one five, yeah, two one five, two one five over SOFR, and then ten years IO or interest only is is all you're paying. Now I want to dig into that a little bit more and you, and ask your thoughts about you know most most people aren't able to get those debt terms right sure uh, but ask about you know should folks be buying interest rate caps that's a big one now for for shorter shorter term notes and all that kind of a thing or you know adjustable rates and and all that you can get better terms than that but I just want to ask your thoughts as you know an experienced lender on whether that's a smart thing to do at this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the uh, interest rate caps. Most of your lenders are going to require you to buy interest rate caps, so that's been you know certainly uh, uh, if you have some, it's been it's been mostly good, but it's a little bit of a double edged sword. So uh, for those of, that aren't familiar, when you get say a, a Fannie Mae loan, their Freddie Mac loan, they're typically ten years, so you can either fix it or you can float it. Um, so the fixed rates. Uh, if you would have done that, you go back in time with Crystal ten years ago or, or, or twelve months ago, that would have been great because you would have been fixed in the rising interest rate environment. Um, I think if you were going to fix it now, I would I'd be a little cautious because you're seeing the yield curve invert inverted pretty dramatically. It got as high as almost fifty basis point inverted, meaning the two year treasury was a half a percentage point higher than the ten year treasury as recent as last week of this recording. So you know we're kind of in mid August right now. Um, so in early August, it was 50 bips inverted. So what that led market is telling you is that they think that the Fed's kind of going to overdo it, cut interest rates. And then with you fix your mortgage with Fannie, Freddie, LifeCo's, they, they tend to come with uh, large prepayment penalties, formerly they're called defeasance or yield maintenance. So I've been there, done that in my career in 2016, kind of really uh, resonates this to me. Where you know we had a deal that was in the beginning, beginning of the fall, got a war deal in October, and we weren't rate locked when the election happened and Trump got elected, and then all of a sudden the the treasury rates went up about eighty basis points seemingly overnight. So then we ended up that would be a low four, ended up being a high four rate. We we fixed it for twelve years, and uh, and then we go end up selling the property in twenty twenty one, and we ended up paying a twenty three percent prepay. So our mortgage balance, twenty three percent of that was in a prepay because the rates went down to you know next to nothing, and uh, so it's just a, a function of that bondholder who ultimately owned my mortgage had to go replace that same income stream in a lower interest rate environment. So he had to get more money to offset that uh, that prepay. So it's not necessarily a no brainer to fix it if you have prepayment penalties. Um, so I'd be not necessarily opposed to fixing mortgages, but I'm definitely starting to get allergic to yield maintenance and defeasance repay. <laughs> so just it's not a no-brainer. So to your your cap cost question. So yeah, you you generally have to buy a cap. 
I think the cap costs are, um, you know, back to the inverted yield curve. My personal opinion is that uh, they're dramatically overpriced right now. I mean, the cost of the caps went up, you know, 15 to 20x from say this time last year. So, you know, what a would it cost you 20 grand? Well, well, you know, I mean, cost you 400 grand, you know, for that same, for that same cap cost. I mean, it's just, it's just exceedingly more expensive as you, as the market is, you know, expecting the Fed to continue that has high rates and continue high rates for at least the foreseeable future is kind of what the, uh, the next year or two is kind of what they're pricing in. So, you know, the, the cap is expected to pay out more than if you go back 12 months, like there was no expectations of any industry hikes in the foreseeable future. So, so the, the insurance costs of the cap were, were much lower. So I would personally buy as high a strike as your lender is going to let you and as short a term as lender is going to let you to mitigate the cost of the cap. And that's my house view. That's what we believe. I reserve the right to be completely wrong and <laughs> go against us, but that's kind of what our house view is. I think the inverted yield curve is telling you that the Fed's going to be cutting rates, even though they're not saying that uh, uh, in, in the messaging after at their meetings. So, uh, but you know, I'd bet on the 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 bond market over what the Fed says because the Fed also said inflation was transitory twelve months ago and they wouldn't be hiking rates. So uh, they they've known to uh, to make mistakes from time to time as well. <laughs> well. I think the uh, non-transitory nature of inflation was obvious to everybody except the Fed. But uh, hey, you know, who knows? They don't they don't pay me to make those uh, those predictions. So, um, but it sounds like uh, on on net, you're still actively buying in the multifamily space, still investing, and uh, you know, if I'm reading between the lines, you don't feel we're on the brink of the next great recession, great financial crisis. But hey, I, I don't know. What are your thoughts? And then we'll, we'll move yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's going to be like it was in 2008, 2009. I mean, that was like once in the last time it was that bad was in the 1930s. I mean, so that was it. I mean, the household, while it's uh, now deteriorating, there's a lot of savings, household savings. You know, a lot of people that have, you know, talk about the housing market, the, the for sale, single families kind of pulling back. But I mean, still historically, all uh, uh, near near all time lows in inventory. Everyone that has a mortgage, for the most part, uh, the vast majority of these people have fixed rate mortgages. They're set in the threes, so they're not going to move. So it's going to further reduce the inventory, further push up people in the housing rental housing uh, market. Um, you know, we focus in Texas, three of the four majors, but generally speaking, there's a migration pattern to the Sun Belt. So if you're buying properties in the Sun Belt, you know, from Arizona, Texas, Florida, Georgia. Carolinas, Tennessee, et cetera, those types of markets, you're generally going to have positive in-migration. And, uh, you know, if I owned a property in New York or in uh, San Francisco, maybe it'd have a different opinion, but but I'm talking to you from the guy who owns in, in Texas. And I mean, you look at some of these major, we're doing a deal or trying to put together a deal in the Austin MSA. I mean, it's just a staggering the amount of um, large capital investments from these major corporations relocating to Austin and Dallas and uh, so forth. So, I mean, people follow jobs and uh, the more people that come, there's going to ever increase the, the need for rental housing or housing as a whole. And if you can't build it and people can't afford to buy it, they, they got to rent it and it's just going to be very supportive. So the fundamentals are really strong. So just, you know, I believe the capital markets are a temporary disruption. I believe they'll be printing money and cutting rates before you know it, in spite of what their uh, the official word is out of the Fed. So as soon as they do that, 
I think anything you buy now that you're going to have a 10 to 20% discount, I think you're going to be very, very happy that you did in a few years. That That's kind of my personal view. We're putting our money where our mouth is and we're, we're taking some action. And I'm buying, uh, have the opportunity to buy these deals because institutions that normally would be my competition are largely on the sidelines. So the private capital guys like ourselves are having a much easier time of getting um, awarded these deals than we would have, say, 12 months ago. So I think, uh, you know, we're betting that that's a smart move. And again, time will tell how smart we are, uh, but I, I, we think it's a wise move with all the demographics and the the support of the household, ever-increasing household formation as uh Gen, uh, Gen Z millennials, you know, millennials don't buy the their starter home like they would have normally a Gen Z age into the housing pool. I think I think there's just more and more demand coming at it. And I think we'll be, uh, you know, proven, proven wise, I hope uh, in, in a couple, couple, three years from now. Great, great. Glad to hear it. Well, right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Michael, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show, but you've been on the show before, so you get our questions for returning guests. Are you ready? Let's do it. Great. First one, what is your favorite business book? You know, I'm not the biggest reader out there, so uh, I don't have it. The books that I always like to say that I have read that I, I thought um, he did a really good job of explaining uh, a business model that's very similar to mine. I Ken McElroy's books, ABC's The Real Estate Investing and The Advanced Real Estate Guide. So I think those are both uh, good books as well as uh, the Tax-Free Wealth by Tom Wheelwright. I thought that was a really good book as well. Great. Great. Love those. So we had your favorite business book on the other side of the book coin. There are books we read for personal reasons. What's your favorite book for you know personal enjoyment? Uh, I don't really read a lot of uh, books, <laughs> but I, I do listen to uh, podcasts. I'll listen to a few audio books. Uh, I mainly just read up about multifamily, the market, investing, capital markets, et cetera. That's really kind of what, what my interests are in. Great. Great. Last one, what is the real estate investing or other event that you're most excited about in 2023? 2023, you know, I uh, go to a bunch of different conferences. So uh, the ones that kind of come to mind are uh, there's the old Capital Real Estate Investing uh, Conference, which uh, my partner Paul Peoples puts on. So that's in Dallas in September this year. I don't know when they'll do it next year. And then uh, annually, I always like to go to the NMHC conference, National Multi-Housing Conference. It's in January every year. This year was in Orlando. 2023 will be in Vegas. So we'll see how that is. It sounds like a terrible choice to put it in Vegas <laughs> without, a, uh, without the bars closing down. So we'll we'll see how that goes and how many meetings everyone makes. But uh, the NMHC is always kind of the one conference. If I didn't go to, I'd feel like I'm, I'm missing out on. Great. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great to speak with you once again. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to track you down on the internet or anything along those lines, where can they find you? Uh, So besides just listening to us on the Old Capital uh, podcast, uh, my company I run is SPI Advisory. So just go to our website, 
which is www.spiadvisory.com. There's a bunch of information about what we do, form to fill out if you want to reach out and get into our database. Great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating interview on Apple Podcasts, five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.